0: What's the new abnormal? The growing demand for warehouse automation? And who will work in our facilities in the future? Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by DCV-TV. Five channels of streaming video are yours for the viewing on DCV TV. Major improvements have recently been made to the DCV TV platform to enhance the viewing experience, provide greater search capabilities, and to expand the capacity of the video library well beyond the 3,000 plus videos already in the archive. Be sure to check it all out at DCVTV.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin, how has the pandemic shaped the supply chain and what does the future hold for our industry? To answer those questions, we welcome Dr. Yossi Sheffi, a professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Dr. Sheffi is the director of the MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics and a professor of engineering. He's also a well-known supply chain expert and has regularly been featured in DC Velocity, Supply Chain Quarterly, and at supply chain conferences, and is the author of a textbook and four award-winning management books. His latest book is called The New Abnormal, and he's here to share with us his observations and his expertise. Hello, Dr. Sheffi, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi, David, thanks for having me. Yossi, your new book takes a look at the COVID-19 pandemic and its effects on the economy in general and supply chain in particular. What
1: did you find in your investigations? I love these questions. You know, thousands of hours of uh, of research and writing, and give you an answer in one sentence. So I, I found that the good and bad are happening. Of course, a lot of uh, you know costs are up, demand is fly. so some some uh, companies demand is up, some it just disappears. The whole you know uh, tourism industry, airline uh, are in bad shape, but the uh, talk about supply chain in particular, so some of the good things I would say that came out of it, good in, in quotation mark, it can sum up with uh, the question that everybody asked my wife, which is, what is your husband doing? And until January this year, she said, my husband is in supply chain, and people were looking at her like a deer in the headlight. Now everybody does know, oh, I know, he's working on important things. So the whole profession became household name. The importance, and I'm talking to executives all the time, they are all being elevated. The importance being elevated, people understand, CEOs understand that this is the stuff that connects supply and demand. This is what makes the world works. So the first impact on the profession was elevating the profession and this is something that it will have profound consequences i think going forward well your book also focused on dealing with the whole disruption that
0: the pandemic has caused what do successful businesses do to manage their operations during these unexpected and very difficult times
1: okay there are several things that businesses uh are doing they start an emergency management center which is all the information comes to a set group of people who are the decision makers they are. It used to be a room, and now it's of course virtual um, communication. People are worried about how to communicate, how to communicate better to all stakeholders, being it employees and shareholders and communities. Continuous communication, decision-making authority. People, it's 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 exactly what they, you know Belichick used to say: "Do your job." Every. When there's a disruption, everybody's trying to help, and they are usually disrupting the operation. Just do your job. Um, So allocating decision-making authorities and protocol to the right people. Reviewing suppliers. You always have to make sure that suppliers are still there, and you have to make sure who, who is still working. Reviewing products and customers. You may not have enough parts or uh, raw material to build all, all the product that you need to build. You may not enough to serve all your customers. How do you, I suggest in my book, a lot of framework, how to think about all this problem, which supplier, which supplier, which customer you should focus on. Uh, think about finance. Of course, we are going through a recession and the cash is king, but be very careful about extending terms of payment to the suppliers because you are putting them in risk. Companies have been reducing SKUs. Um, I know General Mills, for example, reduced the numbers of the Progresso soup variety from 90 variety to 50 varieties. And this is done in order to assure supply at the beginning. Now it's done in, in order to cut costs. Because if you have less variations, you don't have so many changeover uh, in manufacturing. And then the good companies are, as they say, never let a good crisis go to waste. They are planning for recovery. So they are actually strategically looking at at all the customers, even all the employees, all the business line, what works, what doesn't work, what will be working in the future. Finally, something that is uh, really unique in some sense to this crisis is that a lot of companies are accelerating significantly the adoption of um, advanced tech. Whether it's connectivity or visibility, or uh, you know, going to the cloud or all kind of optimization, uh, tool, companies are adopting it at a much higher rate than before. These are some of the things that people do as they manage what's going on right now. Yeah, that
0: acceleration we have seen all over the supply chain of people who had projects that they were looking at doing several years down the road, but now realizing that they need to do that immediately. Can you give some good examples of of what kinds of technologies those folks are looking into?
1: Oh, we can talk about it a lot. Uh, some some simple one is uh, Domino, for example. Domino had uh, started developing just before the pandemic an app that allow allow for in car delivery. Uh, people instead of uh, waiting at the uh, drive through line, they set up a, an appointment and people come and put the pizza in, in your truck. Now they expanded it to hundreds of locations and in q2 to 2020 which is my my last figures domino sales were up 16 percent while pizza Hut, wendy california uh, california pizza kitchen are all out of business so it's a dramatic change a lot of it because of the use of uh, a similar technology by the way is used by chipotle instead of drive-through they now have the appointment which not only Allowed them to work well during the pandemic. It allowed them to open a lot of new places because many zoning laws, uh, many zoning regime, don't allow for drive-through window because they don't like the lines. Now they don't have lines. They just have this disappointment. Uh, uh, but it's as simple. I can go on and on about companies with sophisticated optimization, tying it to um, uh, to uh, to visibility and being able to optimize in real time and avoid a lot of expedited freight, for example, a lot of the uh, automotive, I know GM and Ford have been using uh, uh, software like this. So we can go many, many examples on, on, on that count. We've also
0: seen a great deal of increase in the desire for companies to move towards more, more automation within their facilities, whether that's robotics or other kinds of automation. What have you seen through the pandemic and, how, and has that seemed to be accelerated as well?
1: Big time, absolutely. Warehouse automation is accelerating rapidly. And I should say, it's sometimes hard to decipher because at the same time, companies like Amazon or um, Walmart.com are hiring a lot of people because of the huge increase in in e-commerce. It's not only them, it's it's Target and Lowe's and JD.com and uh, Alibaba. Everybody is increasing e-commerce. At the same time, they are building, a lot of the new warehouses are building, are built for automation. So we still have a lot of people working in warehouses because of the huge increase, and it's very hard in the short term to completely automate a warehouse. But we see drones taking up inventory within a warehouse. A lot of the existing automation company are into new new warehouses. And of course, we all read about the um, transportation automation being autonomous trucks, autonomous last mile delivery. Um, many companies are uh, are developing this. We even talked about um, there's a company now that, tr- that they just getting FDA, FAA approval to deliver human parts between hospitals very quickly. Uh, and this is like a It's not um, a small package of Amazon, it's 150 pound packages, and the drones are small airplanes, really. Uh, So people are moving all over the place in automation.
0: Do you think that kind of technology, the drones, autonomous vehicles, and that sort of thing, which we saw out on the horizon, do you think that's gonna come a lot quicker now as a result of the pandemic?
1: I think yes, because what we see in addition, something that is uh, interesting, we see the FDA, which is one agency, moving very, very fast. You know, with the with the vaccine, with all kinds of pharmaceutical, they are moving fast. We see the FAA moving fast. You see what's happening with Boeing. They are now about to uh, approve the um, the 737 again. Uh, so we see federal agencies all, also moving fast, not only with Operation War Speed, but in general. So one can only hope in this it's very hard to make statement about large bureaucracies like the federal government but it seems that the that this is moving and the united states will stay behind in part it's the success of um, automation by the way the largest um, the largest market for automation for for robotics in the world is china china has now by now 37 38% of all the world robots so and they are and it's increasing. So even just the competition with China will get the um, the United States agency, I think, to open their eyes and start releasing and start experimenting with uh, all kind of automation, all kind of vehicles, all kind of drones, all kind of last mile delivery robots, whatever. Will certainly be fun to watch. In your I, book,
0: absolutely. yeah. In your book, you did talk about um, how business have been coping with it. You gave a couple of examples. Are, are there particular stories that struck you as seem to in, sort of encapsulate what what companies were facing and, and what were some of the successes that people saw through this pandemic?
1: Yes, but we saw how big companies are adjusting. But I also have some example for small companies for, you know, Family companies. let give you one example. It's a local company that we found out personally because somebody recommended. It's a basically husband and wife company. They had 20 trucks and they used to serve uh, institutions, so universities and uh, and restaurants basically, and in industrial parks. On in March 2020, the business went down 96 percent. So oh, the only thing that stays are prisons. Because they used to serve prisons as well, uh, they are right here outside Boston. So they pivoted on a dime to start serving consumers at home. Now you're talking about people who never had a website, never took order online. So we kind of followed them, uh, and to begin with, they just had it was like a PDF that they, that they sent you an email when you want when they wanted you to know. they're selling and then it became a website and you had to call them when you saw something on the website and then it had pictures on the website and then you could click on the the website and uh, and get the order then they had tracking and tracing all of this moved in about three weeks they moved from nothing maybe four weeks they moved to nothing from being able to serve consumers and so to me, this is an example. Now, small companies, of course, can move on a dime, and this is an example. But many of the competitors failed, and they moved very quickly. So it was interesting to see. So what um, are some of the characteristics of companies that are going to be able to make it,
0: and what kind of companies are going to fail? As This is something that's going to be with us for quite some
1: time yet. Definitely, definitely. The companies, well, look, think about the the people who will fail it's the weak, the old, people with previous conditions, comorbidity. These are the people who end up dying or, or very, very sick. The same thing with companies, the weak, the people who are already didn't do well um, before. The people who were, example, U.S. department store revenues in, from 1999, I think, was $30 billion. By the end of 2019, it was like 11 billion dollars. So they lost, you know, two thirds of their of the revenue. And from December to March 2020, they went down to 8 billion dollars because J J. Crew, Neiman Marcus, Lord Taylor, Jesse Penny, Pier One, all went out of business. So it's the companies who were weak before, in general. You know, we all quote, the, you know, Darwin, it's not the weak, it's not the fast to survive, it's the people who can adapt. And it's true. But in order to be able to adapt, you need some financial muscle, some reserves of money and talent. And the companies who were in trouble before didn't have it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's in general, companies who had the talent, were in good shape, reasonably good shape. And could pivot to new business line, new ways of doing business. So, what is our
0: new abnormal, and what are some of the major lessons that we've learned from our supply chains during these pandemic times?
1: Okay, so the new, when we talk about the new uh, abnormal, people are talking about a recovery, whether it to be, a, you know, a V, a U, an L, a W. No, none of the above. The recovery is going to be like a game of whack-a-mole. If you ever play Wackamo, you know stuff pops up and you have to hit it quickly, all randomly during the uh, on the uh, playboard. Think about the globe as your playboard, and random flare-up of the pandemic, and then the local government shuts it down, so all your suppliers there are shut down. The demand is changing again. It happens. It will happen in around the world at random times and random regions. That's what we are facing, which is very difficult for supply chain managers this is this by the way uh, the media is talking about the end of china the end of just in time the, it's it's all of this is not is not just not going to happen but uh, because moving back to the united states or to europe goes against resilience in order to be resilient in a world like this you need to be global actually because you cannot rely on having all your demand and supply in one area even this area being the united states or somewhere in europe because it can close with no warning so you need to be spread all over the world you need to have suppliers in more than one places you need to have factories in more than one place so this is how i think of course this is only one aspect of um, what the world is going to look like in the next year call it year for sure maybe a little more depending on the efficacy of the uh, of the vaccines that are coming out. We just we just don't know if these vaccines are gonna be like the flu, which are only 60, 70% effective, or are gonna be 90 to 100%. Nothing's gonna be 100%, but whether it will be high 90s, uh, because we have a lot of vaccines that are based on new technology, which were never tried before. So we just don't know. But meanwhile, clearly for the next year, of, at least, if not more, it will be a whack a recovery. And we see, by the way, we see Europe flare-up popping again. We see in Asia flare-up uh, popping again. Of course, the United States. They say, what, 40 states now are in the red zone? Uh, it's, a, it's an issue. To close out, you talk in your book that there may be
0: a new roaring 20s. What do you see for the future and for the next opportunities that are out there for supply chain managers?
1: Yeah. First of all, as I said, supply chain management is becoming the new the new finance or the new marketing, a sexy profession that uh, people are going to come to. By the way, we see application for our supply chain management program go to the roof. Um, and other schools also see it. So it's uh, people are, uh, you know, the word is out, so to speak. When I talk about the room 20, I think after every big you know we had we had the roaring 20 after the after world war 1 we uh, we had the roaring 20 we had a huge after world war 2 we had some of the best um, growth in the united states ever you know in the 50s this is almost like a war this is uh, something that affects the entire world and out of this i think people will come with a new sense of um, work, wanting to grow, realizing that the world is a lot more vulnerable than they thought, so they'll be less compliant. I hope so. This was more aspirational, I should say, than uh, factual. Let's hope you're right with that. If someone (laughs) wanted
0: to get your book, Yossi, where can they find it?
1: At this point, the book is available only on Amazon in an e-version. Starting about uh, mid next week it will be available also on amazon only but in a uh, in a paperback version we have an agreement with amazon that until november 1st because they give us a lot of uh, marketing cloud and and they market it on their on the site so put it in all kind of programs so the first 30 days it's available only on amazon but starting november 1st it will be available on on Barnes & Noble, on Google, on Apple, on every other platform. So, but right now, go to Amazon. If you like the book, write a good review. If you don't like the book, eh, don't write anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Again, the book is called The New Abnormal. Thank you, Dr. Yossi Sheffi, for being with us today. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much, David. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, you reported on the new research that shows that the warehouse automation market is set for long-term gains. Can you tell us more?
2: Sure, absolutely. And this is very much in line with what Professor Sheffey was saying about um, you know, acceleration the acceleration of advanced technologies and automation that we're seeing. So I came across a study this week um, from a market research firm that underscores an issue uh, we've been hearing a lot. About these last few months, and again, it is that growing demand for warehouse automation technology, especially in light of the pandemic. So. Um, accelerated e-commerce activity and demand for social distancing in the warehouse is driving the trend. And the study predicts that the market for warehouse automation equipment and software will be about 6% higher than pre-pandemic levels by 2023. It also found that the greatest demand for warehouse automation is coming from consumer goods and grocery industry, industries, Excuse me, with grocery leading the way as more retailers seek to implement micro-fulfillment centers across their networks. So this, again, is just something we've been seeing. We've been covering You know, since the pandemic broke out pretty much in the spring and the study was interesting and then it kind of reinforced um, a lot of the a lot of the projects that we're seeing and talk that we're seeing across the industry.
0: So it looks like in that study, the demand will grow in the longer term. But what about this year? Did it address any increase in market activity for the rest of 2020?
2: uh yeah the the research showed that no the gains are expected to follow sort of maybe a revenue dip for automation providers in 2020 mainly because some projects are being delayed into 2021 for different reasons Um, but as you say um demand is is going forward will be strong another interesting finding uh that i thought i thought was interesting was on the software side of the equation and the researchers found that software revenues are under threat as uh, online retailers increasingly bring warehouse execution and management software in-house They pointed to a couple of examples, Amazon and Chinese retailers, Alibaba and JD.com, and said that others may follow suit. So the point they were making was that um, there's really a need for flexibility and customization when it comes to the software um, side of things.
0: Well, hopefully we'll see that growth sooner rather than later. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. And Ben, you reported on the Roadmap 3.0 panel that was part of the MHI virtual conference held this week. What did this latest iteration of the roadmap report tell us?
3: Uh, that's right, Dave, I did. And, uh, and and this one also has some echoes of uh, what Professor Sheffi was talking about, what, what Victoria was talking about as well around warehouse automation. Uh, but it was looking a little bit farther down the road. Uh, this is the third version of the roadmap that uh, MHI, the Industry uh, Society in Material Handling and Logistics, uh, has made. Uh, and it was focusing on what they call the transformation age. Uh, so the report said that By 2030, a decade from now, robotics and augmented reality, or AR, will be in mainstream use for warehousing, manufacturing, and distribution centers. Uh, One of the main reasons for that will be better leveraging of cloud platforms, Uh, according to one of the panelists, who was Melanie Wise. Uh, She's the CEO of the uh, autonomous mobile robot company Fetch Robotics. Uh, So Wise advised the crowd who were listening uh, to get ready for that time by saying, uh, don't be afraid of the cloud. What she meant by that was that uh, one of the biggest limits in robotics right now is finding enough computation power for executing the algorithms, handling the data, and uh, the way to handle that is to scale up and you can find uh, plenty of room for that in the cloud.
0: Did the panelists have any advice for ways that companies can
3: prepare for those changes? They did. Um, It's one thing to to predict what's coming. It's another to to have a a plan to actually handle it. Uh, So they said that uh, companies throughout the supply chain uh, really need to find ways to hire the next generation of workers uh, because they have grown up around these new technologies and they'll be completely comfortable using them in everyday life and applying them to logistics uh, problems. So they pointed out that a lot of companies right now are focused on the transition from uh, the baby boomer generation to the millennial generation, that gets a lot of ink. But actually millennials, uh, a lot of them are already in their 30s today. So uh, those companies need to look at the rising generations that will soon replace them, uh, known as Generation Z and then Generation Alpha. Although the eldest generations of Generation Alpha are barely 10 years old today, uh, if you think about it, they'll be entering the workforce in just a decade themselves. Uh, So that workforce of the future will be more diverse, uh, more dispersed uh, in terms of remote working and uh, more highly skilled than their predecessors. And that was according to another of the uh, people on the panel, who's Brett Wood, uh, the CEO of Toyota Material Handling. And Wood talked about some ways that material handling firms can adjust their hiring strategies to recruit and to retain that, those new generations of workers. Um, for example, they have to emphasize the company's uh, sustainability policies, uh, and also uh, make a point of being what he called good corporate citizens, Uh, through steps like offering employees paid time off uh, if they want to volunteer at local charities. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to see uh, over the coming decade if uh, companies will take some of those points of advice as they really try to reshape themselves to handle those new technologies.
0: Well, as always, workers are the most important asset that we have, so it's uh, critical to create that good environment for them to work in. Thank you, Ben. For sure. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Go there to check it all out. Thank you, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Thank you, Dave.
2: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: And again, our thanks to Dr. Yossi Sheffi of MIT for being with us today. We encourage your feedback on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also have a special free offer for our listeners. You can get a complimentary copy of this year's State of the Retail Supply Chain Report. This annual review of retail supply chains is the result of research collaboration between Auburn University's Center for Supply Chain Innovation, the Retail Industry Leaders Association, better known as RELA, and DC Velocity. This ninth installment of the study covers highly relevant topics that impact success or failure in the hyperspeed omnichannel retail environment. So download your free copy today by going to dcvelocity.com retail. We encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we'll look at freight markets. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.